There we go. Hey, everyone. Tried to go live a second ago, and I'm a one minute late for our live stream here. Shame on me. Uh, my name is Andrew Krauss. I co-founded InventRight with Stephen Key over 22 years ago and been coaching and mentoring inventors to license their products ever since. Licensing meaning that you don't need to start a business. You don't need to hire employees. Don't need to raise money. Don't need to try to get distribution for your product and reach out to God knows how many retailers, but instead license it for royalties. Where the And the company you license to are not retailers, but the companies that sell to the retailers, the brands or manufacturers, if you want to call them that. I like saying brands because I think that makes a lot more sense. And they're gonna they're gonna take use their money, they're gonna use their workforce, and they're gonna use their existing distribution. So maybe they have 200 employees, maybe they're in 30,000 stores, and they have unlimited money and a line of credit for any product that sells well. So that's the beautiful thing about licensing. You can have delusions of grandeur and you're not delusional because that big company, that's what they do. They do huge volumes. So that's a beautiful thing. Um, if somebody could type in yes, that you could hear me, that would be great just to confirm. And then I'll get started and just get in with some questions here. Um, if you guys could start typing in your questions, that would be great. Okay, fantastic. Everybody's here. As people, as the hour goes on, more and more people hop on. That's just typically the way it always is. Um, all right, great. Thank you, everybody. All right, so we are going to get going here. Um, just a little legal disclaimer. Anything I share with you today should not be considered legal advice. Please consult your attorney for legal advice. Um, so that's, there's my disclaimer that I actually remember to do at the top of the hour. Usually I do it in the middle once somebody asks a legal question. Um, okay, Levy, who I'm not sure is a regular, so that's cool. Welcome, Levy. If, you, if you're a regular, don't be offended. I don't remember everybody's names, but I do remember quite a few. Um, Levy said, once you license a product to market, license a product to market, okay, do you start working with that company for a certain amount of time? Um, no, when you do a licensing deal, a licensing deal is you're going to sign a licensing agreement. And sometimes people will go, what's the difference between a patent and a license? And I'm like, they're, they're not one and the same at all. A patent's a patent and a license or a licensing agreement it states basically that you'll receive royalties for your invention. And there's many clauses in there, like minimum guarantees, and you pay you a certain amount every quarter, otherwise you can take it back. Um, you know, usually we insist that, that you're covered under their product liability insurance. So many other things in the licensing contract. So what you're doing there, Levi, is you're renting or leasing your product to them. Now, the reason that's what licensing is. So I say renting or leasing because if they don't perform under the licensing contract that I just talked about, you can take it back. It doesn't mean you will. It's like they do one little thing wrong. You're like writing an email. I'm taking it back under the terms of the contract. No, I work with them. Sometimes companies like they, they falter a little bit, maybe the first, second quarter, they're going to try some new things and then it kind of takes off. So it gives you the right to take it back, but it doesn't mean like you, you want to work with them to make it work, right? So your question is, once you license your product to market, do you start working with a company for a certain amount of time? Yeah, you want them to indefinitely have it forever, providing they're selling a certain amount of units and you're making money. Now, if they aren't, you can take it back. It's not hitting those minimum guarantees. If it's not hitting a certain amount, they might give it back to you because they're like, well, this didn't work out the way we thought. Um, so usually in the licensing contract, which might be what you're getting at, I'm not completely getting the question. Um, usually it'll stipulate three or five years is very common. But usually if, if the company's smart, I'm always surprised that companies don't, um, don't want indefinite contracts. But usually it's three or five years and they have the right to, to continue to manufacture and sell the product, providing they pay you royalties minimum guarantees and what are the, the other terms in the, in the agreement. But I'm kind of amazed that some people, they don't put that in there and they're okay with just three or five years and the inventor could get the company over the barrel. I've never advised one of our students to do that. I've never seen one of our students do that. But why would you do that as a company? It just blows me away. You you want to be able to sell it forever and um, the, the company that you license it to 
and if it's doing well. And as an inventor, you want them to continue to sell it forever if it's making you money, you know? So um, it's really as long as the product works, that's the way it should go, Levi. That's the way it should go. Uh, Jeremy said, how much should I know about manufacturing? You say you had ideas that couldn't be made. Um, how am I to know uh, what can or cannot be made if it's a new invention? So <clears throat> I give this example quite often. It doesn't always apply, but it applies the vast majority of the time. You might have a product and at some point the company says, well, how do we make this? You know, And you say, well, there's this product and this product. This one's selling for $19.95, $24.95. And yeah, mine's a little bit different. It just has that hinge on there. So what are you doing when you do that? You have no manufacturing experience. I'm not, I'm not saying you can do this 100% of the time, but a good percentage of the time you can do this. You don't need to do any manufacturing research. So they see those products. They see what price they're selling for. What does that tell them? It can be made and it can be made at that price. Amazing. That's like the best manufacturing research you can do. And for all of us that don't have a manufacturing background, um, that's amazing. And you're, then you're, then you're like, well, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like, there's always something kind of like it. Now you have to point out, well, but I have this point of difference. And they're like, oh yeah, I might add 50 cents. It might not add any cost, you know? And so that is a very crude way, Jeremy, that you can, when the company says, how does, how will it be made? That you can tell them it's going to be made. Um, a lot of times, you know, if you're 70% sure that a company can make it and you're not totally sure. A lot of times, you know, you give them enough information and they're intrigued by the benefit of the product. That's what you're really selling. You don't need to figure out all this manufacturing in order to license it to them, especially if there's things that are somewhat in the same space, but, um, but yours has a point of difference. You need to understand the point of difference. So one example that I give is like, let's say it's an electronic product, but you know nothing about electronics, but there are products that are similar but you have a change, you just change the form factor and has a handle on it or whatever it has. Um, you don't need to know about those electronics. And I'm assuming you're contacting a company that does electronics. And if you could cite a product that's out there, they'll be like, oh yeah, we got it. And they'll get some quotes overseas. They wanna make sure they can make it and make it at a reasonable price. But really it's pretty rare. It's pretty uncommon that our students need to figure out all the manufacturing. Most of the time, you can look at similar products and make assumptions. Not all the time, but most of the time. And Jeremy, statistically speaking, that's probably the case with your product. I have no idea what your product is. So, but it, it would be very daunting to figure out, to figure that you needed to understand all the manufacturing. You need a, a certain type of plastic and you needed the, you know, know exactly what hinge, you needed all that stuff. My God, no, you don't need that because as we always say here at InventRight, you're not selling a patent, you're not selling a prototype, you're selling the benefit of your product. If it, you know, what is your what does your product do that you're selling that benefit? Once they're intrigued by that, you can, if it's a mess, well, you'll figure it out. You know, hopefully you give them enough information, they get some quotes overseas and go, yeah, we can make this, or they come back and they're this is less common, and they're like, Well, we have some issues here. You're like, let me let me think on that. And I'll solve those problems, you know, and maybe you have the background to solve it. Maybe you don't, but usually it's, it's not an issue. So big picture to restate again, um, the main point I'm trying to make, you can make assumptions with no manufacturing background just by using common sense and looking at other products in that space. It might even be a product that's in a different industry, even it might not be the industry. But, oh, but they can make that and they can make it for the, and you can show them these products. They're like, oh, I can do that? Yeah, hell yeah, you can do it. We got our students to do that all the time. Um, thank you, Jeremy. And thank you, Levi, for your question as well. Um, my two cents is their handle. InventRight students can have a virtual prototype created, correct? We do that for our students. Can it be animated? No. Um, if, need, if it needs to be, to show how it works in their product video. And are 3D models good enough to send out for manufacturing? So when we do 3D renderings for our students, they're, they're beautiful renderings, but they're not animated and they're not engineering oriented. We've had some students that are like, hey, can you send me the, the CAD that you did? But there, there's no dimensions on it. There's none of that. It's just something that looks pretty. But we've had a few students that said, can you send that to me? 
And our, some different of our designers, they do it in different software programs. And if you can utilize that, great, but we don't sell it, we don't promise it. And so if we did a virtual prototype for you and hey, can you send me the model and you're capable enough or you wanna send it to somebody and then, and then change it up and give it dimensions and all that, great, but we're not providing you uh, engineering drawing, we're providing you a beautiful virtual prototype. That's what we're providing. And no, we do not animate it. Um, and I, I find that most of the time that animations, but we can show different, you know, product shots. It can be shown from some different angles. I guess you could turn the different angles into a GIF. I'd have to ask our design studio manager if I've done that for a few. For a GIF, for those of you who don't know, a GIF is just a series of images that keeps moving. And so it's kind of like an animation. So I guess we could do that. But I, I haven't asked our design studio manager if we're doing that for any of our students. So officially the answer is no. Um, but I've seen a lot of really cheesy animations from these invention promotion scam companies and they're terrible, some of them. Oh my God, they're like laughing. If I didn't know the inventor threw a bunch of money at this invention promotion company, I would laugh, but I would never laugh because I feel bad for them because they're just so distracting and, and horrible, some of the ones that I've seen. Um, but I have seen ones from other companies that, that do a great job as well. So don't get me wrong. I've also seen them charge insane amount of money. What we charge is, is insanely reasonable. And it's also included with our premium coaching program. But enough of that. Um, let's see. Wow, we got a lot of questions here. As always, for those of you joining, I want to remind you that um, we only got an hour here, which is a long freaking time. Um, but I can't always get to all the questions, but I will ask them in order. So if I don't get to your, your question, um, next time we do one of these, just get in earlier at the top of the hour. It's at 4 Pacific every Monday. You can adjust for your time zone and jump in and ask a question a little earlier. Um, thank you, My Two Cents, for your question. Uh, Mick said, hey, Andrew, my PPA is going to be one year old in December. We get this question every single time. I almost want to just send people, just put a link to the video and people can watch it. Um, but my PPA is going to be one year old in December. What do I have to do for to extend it for another year? And how many times can it be extended? Thanks, I'm learning a lot. I'm going to give you the short version because we get this all the time. But it's a good question, Mick. Everybody else has it. You cannot extend a PPA. Now, don't freak out. Go, oh, crap, I'm screwed. No, you're not. So if you haven't made public disclosure, sold it at a swap meet, put it up on a website, put it on a public YouTube video. If you've just been privately showing it for a license, 99% of the patent attorneys I've talked to don't consider that public disclosure under the American Invents Act that was passed. So um, you can file it again. Now, it will not extend your date. So if you filed it last December and it's going to come due this December, you could file a new one today and it's completely separate. They're never connected to each other. Okay. You could file one today and you get a year from today. Okay. And you could just keep doing that forever. Kind of what's the point though? I mean, the, if you're in that situation, great. That's a great benefit to you. But here's my thought. Why do you file a provisional if you don't know how to reach out and license the product? Well, because you get the warm and fuzzies. You feel good. You're like, ah, I can say patent pending, which is great. You know, it only costs you 75 bucks if you did it yourself or if you did it with our smart IP software you can find on our website. And yeah, you can go to inventright.com and click on patents and you can find out more about that software. We include it with, uh, we have an unlimited version uh, while you're a member with us if you join with the premium program um, or actually Academy too. And then for the public, we have a one-time use version. But you can file a provisional for 75 bucks. So, but why file it if you're just going to sit on your hands and the time's going to run out? You know, so you should file it and then you should be like the next week or the next couple of days, you should start reaching out to companies. Got a whole year. They'll never need a year to fish off the pier and see if there's interest. Interest. There's a weird light coming on onto me there. Um, so, uh, but they are not connected. So here's, but here's, which I love pissing off patent attorneys, the only the unethical ones, not the cool ones. But I've talked to so many inventors that think that um, they're going to be screwed. And the patent attorney says, well, you're going to lose your priority date if you don't file. Because they, sometimes they had patent attorney file a provisional for them. If you don't file out before December, you're going to lose your priority date, which is right. You'll lose your priority date if you don't file a full utility and reference that provisional and get that date. But who cares? I mean, 
What are the chances somebody comes up with the same thing in that period of time? Is that worth $10,000, $12,000 to a patent attorney? Well, you can file another provisional for 75 bucks. File it today, Mick, or next week. You can file the exact same thing. You get a year from today. Okay. You don't have to wait to December. You can let it expire after December. You can file it before December. They are not connected in any way, shape, or form. The only thing that's connected is a provisional you file. If you later file a full utility and you reference the provisional within that year, then you get the priority date from that provisional. And I've got I've said this so many times, but you know, it's helpful to you guys. So I just have to keep saying it. So, and if you don't understand that, I, I don't know. We have almost 900 videos on our Invent Right TV show. Um, so you could you could search just our channel. You know, you can do that. You can go to our channel, Invent Right TV, click on the logo, search the channel, and you'll probably find a few videos of me or myself or Stephen rambling about that. Uh, Tony said, thanks again for always being there for us. Thank you, Tony. You're always so supportive. Um, and I'm going to just say it right now, long before we, we finish. If you guys want to do me a favor, I'm going to spend a whole hour answering questions. The way you could say thank you is down below. Click on subscribe. Click on the notification button. Help us build our channel. Also watch or also give it a thumbs up. So thumbs up, subscribe, notification button. I don't know. I don't think you can give a thumbs up to a live stream. I, I've never really checked. One of you guys want to type in. I watch some live streams once in a while. I, I don't know if you guys know this, but I'm a, a YouTube junkie. I every night on my TV, I'll watch. I'll watch 30 minutes to three hours of YouTube. It drives my wife nuts. I usually, when she comes down, we'll watch something else. But I'm just a learning freak, so um, it really means a lot to me that you guys are spending the time to listen to me. Because uh, I have a lot of people I'm fans of on YouTube as well. Um, uh, Hostery Project is their handle. When submitting a provisional patent application, error messages on documents said embedded fonts. I tried to embed fonts, but they still have the same error. A lot of people, when they're uploading their provisional patent to the patent office, get confused on that. There's a certain way the fonts need to be embedded in the PDF. It's actually not that technical once you know how to do it. This is what I would do. First of all, Google it a little bit. A lot of other people are having that same problem. But then call the patent office, the Office of Independent Inventors there. They're super helpful and they can help you with that. They, they won't charge you anything. If you're like, oh, they're a government agency. Well, the patent office actually is funded with your, your patent dollars. They're not funded by taxpayers. Quite the opposite. Actually, Congress and other entities try to suck money off from the patent office. They're completely self-funded, which is so cool. But part of the reason why I think they're a little bit more customer service oriented than other government agencies because they see you as customers. Because without you, they wouldn't have the funds to run the patent office. And, and then they wouldn't have their salaries and they wouldn't get paid. So there, if you had bad experiences with United States government agencies, I find that it'll, you'll find it, it'll be a lot better. They're super helpful. Um, I had this woman that was completely like utterly not tech savvy. And she told me how she was on the line with somebody from the patent office for an hour and a half to fix the problem. Now, if you do get somebody that's not super helpful, just say, oh, thank you very much and, and hang up and then call 40 minutes later. They, they probably pog pog right away and you might get somebody else. And, um, and, they're, they, they're very, very helpful. So, um, but a lot of people have that problem with the embedded fonts and the PDF when you're uploading it and you're uploading your provisional pad. It's not something to freak out about. You'll figure out how to do it and you'll go from there. Uh, Tony said, uh, thought I had identified 85 different spatula brands on the Walmart website. Then I heard you say recently, they sometimes make up a name for their own products. What's the best way to discern them? I, I think you're misinterpreting a little bit, but I know what you're talking about, Tony. So, and I, you're talking about walmart.com, not Walmart. Walmart.com is, I've never actually gone on there, so I'm not an expert at it, but it's kind of like Amazon. Anybody can go on Amazon and sell on Amazon. Anybody can go on walmart.com and sell on Walmart. That's very different than getting distributions in their store. Um, so I think that, I think what Tony's referring to I mean, how do we know regular brands from department store brands? I don't know the difference between a regular brand and department store brand. Oh, okay. All right. So now I, I get, I was going to ramble in another area. I think what he's saying is some of them are house brands. So on generic items, sometimes like spatulas or chairs or towels or things, um, Walmart or Target or other major retailers will have 
their own house brand. And they're and really house brands or the Walmart brand. What, what's the Walmart brand, guys? I'm try, trying to remember. Mainstays. Mainstays is one of the Walmart brands for some things. So you don't you don't really know. You can Google it. You can see who owns it, who owns such and such brand. They're not just making up the name. So because you're you're very unlikely to license to a house brand for a major retailer because they're just trying to reduce costs and generic items. They don't want to do anything really innovative. You're more than likely to license to a company that sells to Walmart or Home Depot or Target or wherever. Um, and they are doing the innovative brands and the retailer, let's say Home Depot is like, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll take on that new drill or whatever it is. Um, and we'll, we'll sell that. And if it doesn't sell, you know, we'll probably send it back to the manufacturer, but they're not taking on um, and doing really innovative stuff like most of you are doing. It's possible, but highly unlikely. So to answer your question, Tony, to figure out if they're a house brand or not, just Google it. Who owns Mainstays? You know, I bet if I type that in right now, let's say Walmart. I believe that's, I'm 99% sure that's their house brand. So hopefully that was that was helpful. Um, let's see. Human is their handle. It's a fun human. They, it's good, you're a human, um, not an alien or something else. Well, aliens are welcome here as well. Um, what are the benefits of working with licensing agencies? What are the percentages? Um, there aren't any. So if you if you look for a licensing agent or an invention promotion company or um, whatever you want to call they want to call themselves, I have never met an inventor in the 23 years I've been doing InventRight and the 14 years I ran an inventor group that ever had an invention promotion company license a product for them. But every day here at InventRight, Sylvia and Dana that do sales for InventRight, sometimes we call them an advisor, but they're salespeople. They're super friendly. We're not supposed to use the word salesperson, but that's what they are. They talk to or I talk to because I talk to a percentage of people interested in our program as well. At least we have at least one person a day. It might be one every other day that's been taken for 10 or 12 grand. There are some companies that'll try to take you for three, four, five, six grand. But and, and they just pretend to work on your product. Then a year later, they say, oh, nobody's interested, and they won't even show you who they reached out to. I talked to a guy the other day. They're like, they'll, they told me they would let me know if I got interest, but nobody's interested. Well, can you send me the companies? No, we can't. What? How do you even know you're working on it? So human, that's their handle. If you're looking for a company to do this for you and reach out for you, you're in for a world of hurt. Now, there used to be legitimate in the one business where there was legitimate agents in the toy business, but that's dead. You can go direct to toy companies now. Anybody that's a toy agent, that's like archaic. Um, so, um, yeah, don't look for that, man. You're going to get screwed. You can go direct to, and when I say screwed, you're going to get screwed by some invention promotion company where it sounds good. And to be honest, if you just Google them and you maybe go to the second page, if they stuff the first page of, you know, try to see, you can't see all the bad reviews. And if you don't see a bad review, it might just be that they're a new company and then, in a year or so, they're going to have tons of bad reviews and they just come up under, they go under under, and they come up under another company. You're in for a world of hurt if you're looking for somebody to try to license it for you. Now, it's not that hard to license a product. It's work. It's something you need to know. But if you reach out to the companies that are in the major retailers where you want to be, I've never had one of our students in 22, going on 23 years, I need to see exactly how long it's been, it's in that range, that has been ripped off by a company they presented to. So, the, the type of ripoff I'm talking about is invention promotion companies ripping off inventors. The Federal Trade Commission, the Patent Office warns against them. But inventors is an endlessly a stream of green inventors that want to get taken advantage of or they just don't want to do any work. I guess great idea, million dollar idea. Company says, yeah, it's great. It's great. They're just going to pretend to work on it. And then you have nothing to show for it. But if you're reaching out to companies directly, you know what's going on. You can reach out via LinkedIn, via email, and via the phone. You can get into almost any of these companies. And that's what we guide um, our students to do. We've been doing that for a long time. Um, we knew it for so long. Back in the day, we had people mailing their sell sheets. And people would ask me, hey, should, can I send a fax, Andrew? And I'd be like, ah, you know, it's like black and white. It's not really going to look very good. I, I wouldn't do it. And But we've kept up with the times, of course. Now it's LinkedIn and it's email. And still, if they don't get back to you via email on the phone, you're going to pick, you know, sorry, email and LinkedIn, you're going to pick up the stupid phone and you're going to call them. I don't care how shy you are. It's not that hard. 
Gatekeeper might help you. I've had students that couldn't get in via email and LinkedIn and the Gatekeeper was helpful and they got to the person. So, but a lot of you would prefer to use LinkedIn and email first and then go with the phone call later. Okay, we got 30 companies. Oh, I got into 23 and the other seven. Okay, I'll call. Um, but human is their handle. Do not look for a company to say they're going to reach out for you. Um, I've talked to inventors where they were considering us and they were considering an invention promotion company. And I explained all this even in more detail. And, and they, I said, we're going to make you do work. They're not going to tell you to do any work. You're going to end up with nothing. And they came back like a year, year and a half later. Andrew, you even warned me and I still did it. Okay. So, so don't do that guys. I'm not talking down our competition. They're not competition. They're scamming. Okay. Um, you know, and I, I never mention any company by name, but look at the statistics. It's ridiculous. Um, uh, Willetta said, hello, is there a website to file a PPA? So the website as Hill dog wrote there, um, that's a fun handle. Uh, is the patent office, which is USPTO.gov. Now, they don't have like detailed tutorials. This is how you write a provision. They don't have that there. If you go to inventright.com, I'll put it, I'll type in the USPTO to www.uspto.gov. So that's the patent office website. And inventright.com is our website. And for 99 bucks, you can buy our smart IP software, which will help you write it. And then you got to pay the patent office fee of 75 bucks to file it if you're a micro entity. Most of you are qualify as a micro entity. If you're in a, over a certain dollar amount, I forget the exact amount. It's pretty high annual household income. You need to pay 150. I I found most inventors don't even check. They all just pay the micro entity fee of 75 bucks. I guess I could bite you in the butt. I've never heard of it biting anybody in the butt, but you're supposed to. If you and there's a spreadsheet. It's called a micro entity. And you might be able to find that. You can find that on the Patent Office website to see if you qualify. Most of you probably do. If you're earning tons of money, you know, then it's 150. Um, so yeah, and they won't give you instructions on how to write it. They can't do that because they're the Patent Office. So it's just like, well, here's the form, and then people get confused. Uh, Rosetta said, "Let's see. Sorry, page down here." Now oh, I lost my space. Okay. Let's try to do some rapid fire here. Rosetta said, hi, could a person hire to illustrate your idea have any legal or financial claims at some point? Yeah, you want them to sign a work for hire agreement that says you own everything. You own what you send, that you own all the artwork and everything. I've never had, um, well, first of all, when we do a first student's you know, we sign an NDA, student owns everything they do. They own any improvement. They, you know, everything is confidential. But yeah, you want to have the, the graphic designer sign uh, a clause. It's an improvements clause and it's a work for hire that you own everything that they do for you. That's very important. Now, have I ever talked to an inventor where that caused them a problem? No. I mean, these people are just trying to make a few bucks. Quite often they're overseas or maybe they're in the U.S. doing some graphic design for inventors. Um, they're not there to scam you, but you do want them to sign a work for hire agreement that says you own everything. Absolutely. Um, okay. Uh, Tony said, we've seen you do this before, but could you please tell us about one of the items behind you? that you haven't touched on before. Well, that's interesting. There's a lot of, I'm gonna stand up here. Yes, I'm wearing a dress shirt with shorts. If you realize I'm wearing shorts, you probably can't see them there. Um, there's tons of stuff. I mean, let me pull, this is the Grip Go that one of our students licensed. It's, uh, it was on, as seen on TV. Um, I mean, there's so many here. Uh, let's see. Well, this is a, this is a cool, um, this is a cool product that prevents people from stealing your, your tags on your um, license plate. And um, uh, the GripGo was licensed. It's like a sticky pad and you stick your cell phone on there. So that was that product. That did pretty well. It made him a lot of money. Um, this product is, is really cool. Uh, it helps you hang uh, pictures. 
So you put a nail in there and then it punches the picture and it has a level. So you level it and you move it and then it pushes the nail right in and the two points that you need it. So that's kind of cool. Um, my daughter absolutely loves this one. This is a uh, squigs. It's like a toy. They're little suction cups. They stick together. She, I told her she can't touch this one. So we bought her one for Christmas. That's a cool product. Um, this one is a, an interesting one. It's a little bit older one, but Dario Antonioni licensed this and it's a series as of elastic straps. And you're like, Oh, well, that's simple, Andrew. Well, well, he got a patent on it. This is an unusual one. I don't know if I've ever seen this before. He was making so much money on this that they actually bought him out. That's not typical. Um, but he did have a patent on it. It's the, the elastic straps go in such a pattern where you can create a pocket anywhere. So it allows you to create an instant pocketing system. They have this on binders and backpacks and for purses and so many different versions. It was insane. And that's a really, really cool product if you can still find it. Um, I, 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 I'm, I, it must still be out there. Really, really cool product. I haven't checked. You know, checking all these products all the time. Um, this is a pretty recent one from one of our students that licensed this as a dog toy. And you can put the treats in there. You can see that it, they come in there and the, the dog rolls it around to get the treats out. This is licensed to Kong, a very large uh, toy company. That's very recent. Um, another another dog dog product. This is like a, a chew toy, gives the dog good breath. Um, this is licensed to, what was the name of the company? Uh, Fetch for Pets, I believe. And But it was also uh, co-branded with Arm & Hammer right here. And I saw them at the Super Zoo show. I have two dogs. One's a light chewer, and she played around with it. It was fine for her. The other one just tore it apart in like 30 minutes in like 20 pieces. But I don't, I think, and they're golden doodles. You wouldn't think they were heavy chewers, but one of them is. So that's a cool product. That was licensed by Chuck. Um, uh, there's so many. You know, this is a, a couple that did this. This is for fishing. It's called a bait butler. Really cool product. Um, there's there's a lot of them. Uh, I mean, those are just some of the products on the shelf. Um, if you go to our website and if you go to InventRight and click on testimonials, um, you'll see a lot of products. There's a lot more than we could put up there. The page was like taking too long to load because there's too many. And I think um, so you can take a look at those. But yeah, it's now some people misperceive. Oh, you guys just do consumer products. No, I mean, we had a guy that had this giant boring drill, not this size, but the size of a Volkswagen bug. And he licensed that. Um, and so you can do industrial, you can do commercial products, you can do B2B products. You can license if it's a product and there's a distribution channel where people are selling it. You can license it to the company selling those similar products. So. You can't license everything. Like if you had this new concept for a new website, right? That's, it's possible. But let, let's say you wanted to start, God forbid, like a new Facebook or something. Well, you're not going to license that. Because when you license, you, you piggyback or tap into what's there. The existing money, the workforce, and the existing distribution. They do a pet toy. Well, I've got a pet toy. And you've got distribution and 30,000 stores for pet toys. So you want to tap into what's already there. Asking a company to start an entirely new business is not really set for licensing. But that's what's what's beautiful about it is they have everything in place, the money, the workforce, and the distribution, and they're already in that space. And you got to look at their product line and match your product with companies that are doing things somewhat in space, you know. Um, let's see. So thank you, Tony. I'll, I could do some more next time. I mean, there's a lot of them up there. I mean. This is just a few behind me. There's tons that we or students have licensed. Um, okay, Willetta said, okay, thank you. Is it a must to file an illustration with description submission? submission? Um, I, I don't know. Submitting what, Willetta? Let's see. Oh, it was the PPA. No, it's um, it's not, but it's a, it is a good idea because you could have not written something in your provisional patent application but you have like a picture and provisionals have no formal requirements. Doesn't mean you scribble on a piece of paper with crayon, but they would accept it. Um, but you don't do that. So you could take a picture, you could do a line drawing, 
Um, sometimes you can bring a picture into some programs and it creates a line drawing for you. So you can do line drawings, you can do pictures, you can do a drawing that you did yourself. And if you miss something, but you said, Bo, but it's covered in the picture. So pictures are really good to include in provisional patents. We do a lot of uh, line drawings for our students and for the public um, because it creates an aura of professionalism. Like the mark, line drawings for full utility patents are very particular. You need to do them just a certain way. But with a provisional patent, there's no formal requirements. So like I said, you can scribble on a piece of paper with a crayon. Don't do that. But what, what's nice is when you create when you get somebody to do a line drawing for you and you throw them in your PPA, it looks really professional. To a marketing manager, it looks like a patent drawing, you know, and that's really nice. And line drawings are easier to define and, and understand. But you could throw a picture in there. If you had a picture of it, you could throw it in there and go. But, you know, it's, it's so extremely rare that you'd ever have to use what was in your provisional for protection. It's more, you know, because only if the year between your provisional and when you file the full utility, if there's that year is an issue, would it ever come up? I've never seen it come up. Doesn't mean do a bad job with your provisional because when you do send it to a company at some point, you're going to be talking to them quite a bit before you do that. Um, it looks professional. If there's some line drawings in there, it's well done. Uh, okay, human said, at this time, we're only accepting submissions with granted utility patents or published utility patent applications. Feel free to contact us if you have any further questions or com comments. That's Stanley Black and Decker. So when companies do that, they're telling you they don't want their ideas because it's absolutely ludicrous and archaic to sit around waiting one to three years for a patent issue and then show it to companies. Are you freaking kidding me? Now, I'm not saying with Stanley Black and Decker, but with some of these tool companies in general that have gone in and out of, oh, yeah, I see the Yes, they're OK with receiving ideas for a year or two. Then they pull back then they come back to it. I've had students of ours get into marketing managers at some of these same companies and they'll take a look at it. So don't always assume that, you know, and oh, but 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 Andrew, it says on their website only if you have an issued patent, you know, well, if they're intrigued enough by the benefit, they'll make an exception. You know, so now on their website through their portal, if that's what they says they, they will only take, then I wouldn't submit it through the portal. But if you go through a marketing manager on LinkedIn and they're like, you know, yeah, send it on over and they look at it and they're intrigued by it. They're going to go right around those rules. You know, if they're really, really intrigued by it, feel like they can make money with it. But it's very rare that you see that. You do see it more with tool companies sometimes. Um, but sometimes people, they they like see something like with a company or two and they're like this is the way it is andrew everybody says they want issued patents i'm like dude knew this 23 years you have students in 65 countries that is not true that's not true but there are some that do but they're you're not going to license to those companies anyway because they're archaic in their thinking you know um so it's so unlikely you'd be licensing to them anyway but you really want them go in the back door uh Okay, Chris says, how do you stop Chinese Alibaba from stealing your idea? A couple months later, start selling a similar concept and undercutting you and start selling it on Amazon, et cetera. Um, so, well, Chris, the way, the best way to do that is to license it. So, first of all, they can't knock you off if you didn't make your product public, right? So maybe you made your product public or you know somebody that did, and then somebody in China copied it and threw it up on Alibaba and said, anybody that wants to buy this, they can buy it from me, right? Um, okay, so first of all, somebody selling Alibaba isn't really gonna necessarily mess you up. So here's the best form of protection. License it. First to market is the best form of protection. So if you license it to, part of my language, a big ass company, Maybe that's selling 50,000 units, half a million, two million units. It depends on the product type, right? And they get it out there in a big way, okay? Because they're a big company and they get it out there in distribution. And then some Chinese company sees that, that they're doing that and they knock it off and they throw it up on Alibaba. Who gives a crap? Who cares? You know, your, your company is selling 90% and 
some other companies are maybe because the ones that the Chinese companies have put up on Alibaba, sometimes they're selling it themselves on Amazon. Sometimes they're just saying, hey, does anybody else want to buy it? Some Americans buying it, throwing it up on Amazon, selling it. And maybe your big company, because they're a big company, they're not you, sends its cease and desist and they go away. Maybe they don't. Maybe some do, maybe some don't. Well, congratulations, you're successful. You're selling, your company is big. They're selling 80, 90% of product and the knockoffs are selling 20, 20%. There's no way of preventing that. The best way to prevent it though, but here's the problem. You sell it in some sort of small scale, somebody knocks you off, they think you're the knockoff, right? But he licensed a big company, they're first to market, push it out there in a big way, very fast, very hard. That's the best form of protection. That's a better form of protection than any patent. So you can't prevent that from happening, Chris. Um, but if it's happening to you, like maybe you're venturing the product. When our students are licensing, we say don't, don't publicly disclose it. If you've already been selling it yourself and then now you want to license, okay, that's fine. But you can't, you can't prevent that from happening, nor should you try. And if you think a patent's going to prevent that from happening, you're, so, you're wrong. Um, uh, okay, this one's cool. Tony said, Tony Tally is their handle. What would you say to someone that has ideas but is too scared to try? Good. I love that question. You should be scared of ripping yourself off. Because if you're an inventor and you got all these ideas, and if you got decent, halfway decent ideas, eventually you're going to start seeing, if you're looking at the marketplace, some of the ideas come out that you had just been thinking of. And somebody else thought of it, and they brought it to market before you, right? So you should be afraid of ripping yourself off rather than somebody else ripping you off. In, in the 23 years we've been doing this with students in 65 countries, I've never had a single inventor that I'm aware of that had their idea stolen by a potential licensee, a company that they sent it to. So that is a solid statistic. It'll happen one day. If I talk to inventors outside of InventRight where they say, oh, this company stole my idea. Yeah, and at least half of them, the inventor was acting like a whack job that didn't give the company a right to do it. But like, I'll give you an example. I talked to this one guy and he said he'd been talking to this company for eight, 10 months company really liked it, started moving forward, started spending money on it. I think they spent eight or 10 grand on it. Like I would never do that unless I confirmed the relationship with the inventor, but they did. And they never talked money. And the inventor insisted on three quarters of a million dollars up front. And I'm like, and he said, I wouldn't budge because that's what it's worth. And he started talking. I'm like, dude, you're a freaking whack job. Yeah, you could earn a lot of money over time. You earn your royalties quarterly. As they make money, you make money. The, the biggest companies in the world won't pay you that much money up front. You know, now if you start a business and you've been selling it and you got distribution in 30,000 stores and inventory this, okay, you know, but they're buying your business. But when you're licensing, you want to backload the deal. As they make money, you make money. And this guy insisted. He was just like, I'm like, dude, you, you killed the deal. You know, and I could tell he wasn't even listening to me. He was whacked. You know, don't be that that company. Now, it wasn't okay for them to then figure out a way around them. They worked around it and they went ahead and did it. They're like, screw you. You know, we and that's not okay. I'm not saying that's okay. But I've seen I've seen more than my fair share of inventors outside InventRight that were just completely off base. Now, I've got other ones that weren't, but it's very rare. So Tony, you said, what would I say to someone that has has ideas but is too scared to try? Um, you shouldn't be because companies aren't knocking you off left and right. You know, in most categories, they're they're very friendly, you know. And so I don't know what you're scared of. If you're scared of getting your idea stolen, sometimes people are scared of wasting their time. They're scared of the money that's involved. I mean, the money that's involved here, guys, a lot of our students are literally able to pitch their product for less than three or four hundred dollars. Seventy five for a provisional pen, money for a sell sheet, a virtual prototype. You're you're good to go. And you could be potentially earning maybe, you know, $100,000 or $200,000 in your royalties. Other products, maybe a ten, tens of thousands of dollars a year in royalties. But it adds up over time. If you're earning $100,000 a year in royalties and the product is doing well and it sells for five years, that's a half a million dollars. And you didn't need to run a business. You didn't need to risk your money. You didn't need to do any of the work. You need to do the work to close the deal, but that's it. So you should be afraid, Tony, of 
not taking advantage of the incredible opportunity that is licensing and of missing out. Because if you don't show your idea to anybody, you ripped yourself off. And you're also going to rip yourself off if you go every time you get an idea, you go out and throw 10 or 12 grand a patent attorney. You got the provisional patent application, lets you fish off the pier for an entire year, see if there's interest, utilize it. Okay. So I love that question, Tony. Thank you so much for that. Um, Robert says, uh, ballpark, how much does a small plastic prototype cost? Well, why do you need it? So you might. So, um, you know, Sometimes, there's a lot of different ways to make a prototype. For 85% of our students, or even more, we do a virtual prototype, okay? So that's that's very, very cost-effective. It can cost you anywhere from, oh, I don't know, not, not from us. For, for us, it's like, it's very affordable. I mean, I think we charge $350 for a cell sheet and a VP. I think $250 for a VP for non-students, virtual prototype. Um and so that's very affordable. I've seen people charge three, four thousand dollars for what we charge, two hundred fifty dollars. It's insane how some people will will take inventors that way. Um, I think it's worth that much, but I don't think you need to spend that much. Um, so you're saying ballpark? How much does a plastic prototype cost? It completely depends on the prototype. Now another way you can make a prototype, which is make a virtual, make a, a 3D print. Everybody's like, oh, you know, 3D printing so effect, cost effective, and my buddy even has one. Well. You know, the cost of 3D printing isn't the printing itself if it's very, very small. If it's very large, it's whatever. So as far as the printing goes, it's how much time is the machine going to take to print it? And that's the cost of the actual printing. But if you got a very small, let's say he has a plastic part, let's say that is just literally as big as this, this wing on or this earpiece on these glasses. That's going to print pretty damn fast, right? But that's not the cost. The cost is getting somebody to design it in CAD so you can send it to the printer to print it, you know, computer-aided design to do the design for it. Sometimes 3D prototypes can be great. Sorry. Um, um, 3D prints can be great. Some people call those 3D prototypes. But um, but they can also have a lot of gradation on it. depends on what's, what, what, what you're using. But if you can just cannibalize an existing product, why not do that? You know, a lot of times you can find a product and cannibalize it, put it together, and you don't need that that uh, prototype. You know, that's your prototype. Okay, so you can Frankenstein it, get it 3D printed, or you can do a 3D rendering. Um, there's many other ways of doing it, but I cannot possibly answer how much would a small plastic prototype cost um, because. It all depends on what's involved with designing it and then with printing it or molding it or whatever the hell they're doing there. Um, it depends on the product. But what I'm going to say, which will shock a lot of you for you've been here a lot, well, you don't need it most of the time. Okay. So, which is, again, I said at the top of the hour, I haven't said it for a while here on this stream. Um, you're not selling your prototype. You're not selling your patent. You're selling the benefit of your product. So your marketing piece, so one page, PDF sell sheet showing your product, maybe a virtual product prototype, maybe something you cannibalize, you made it look good. Um, you know, and it looks good in the picture, but it doesn't actually work. It falls apart. That's fine too. Believe it or not. You're trying to relay the benefit of your product. You're going fishing. That's what you're trying to do. So most of the time, Robert, you won't need a small plastic prototype. Um, so, but I can't answer without knowing what your product is. And I just, I'm not a prototyper, right? I can tell you can do a three can do a three D rendering for you, which are beautiful. Um, yeah, human mentioned provisional patent applications are not published, which is fantastic. They can't see what you have; they can't look it up. It's beautiful. You say patent pending, and let's say a company wasn't on the up and up; they cannot see it. It's 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 amazing. It's a great great tool. Uh, Savage Kings is the handle. Provisional patent or licensing for the clothing industry. Clothing industry is a very tough industry. And, you know, I, I was telling you just a second ago, people aren't knocking each other off left and right. But guess what? In clothing, they are. A designer comes out with something, Donna Karen or whoever. And before you know it, there's some other designer knocking that same cut off because it's next to impossible to patent uh, clothing designs. Uh, I'll tell you the exception in a minute here. Um, so... 
all the designers do is knock each other off. Now, how do they protect themselves? They protect themselves with their brand. It's Calvin Klein. It's Donna Karen. You better not mess with the clothing designer's brand. Be doing knockoffs there because they'll they'll kick your butt, right? Unless you're selling stuff on the street, <laughs> you're selling, you know, coach handbags or something like that. But um, if clothing has functionality, like it's a new handbag and inside this thing flips up and then it goes like this and then it offers more storage and then so people can't get into your purse or it, you know there's a lot of functional clothing which actually can offer functionality utility of people work on shoes they have new unique type of shoelaces so the kids shoes don't get undone or it could be something actually on clothing that has functionality but if it's just a new cut of clothing a uh, new design like that um the, you know every Every clothing designer that's got out of school is hitting those people up and it's going to be impossible to get in there. So if you do work on a clothing industry product, make sure to say that it's a patented product that has functionality utility. I'm not just another, I'm not another um, clothes designer because they're used to pushing those people off all day long. So the clothing industry is a weird ass industry, um, you know, and without knowing specifically what your product is, it can't get into more details, of course. Don't share that on the line here. Um, uh, yeah, so, okay. All right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it's fine. Mike said, hi, Andrew. How do you feel about ex students starting their own company and doing exactly the opposite of what you guys teach or what they've learned? I think what he's talking about is they want to make and sell the product themselves. I think that's perfectly fine. I think that I'll tell you guys, one of the cruxes in the InventRight approach that I only came up with um, about 10 years ago, and I was the person that started this in InventRight. We've been here for 23 years, and I co-founded the company 23 years ago, um, is when people would be upset they didn't license their first product. They would go, well, I know this makes sense, and God damn it, I'm going to start my own company. I'm going to prove them wrong. I'm like, well, you got to look at your business model here, okay? So there's a difference between licensing, put all the money, all the work on their employees, not yours, and tapping into the 30,000 stores they're in. It's a fictitious example. And you can keep your day job. You can keep your business. And if you, every time you don't license a product right away, um, you can say, I'm going to start my own business. You don't know what you're getting yourself into. Most of the time, you need hundreds of thousands of dollars. You need to hire employees. You need to do all sorts of stuff that you don't want to do. Retailers don't want to, don't take one skew one product company seriously. You're a pain in their butt. They don't want to deal with you. You know, but when you license to a company that has 50 products, 9,000 products, 500 products, they're not only going to get it in the stores, but they're going to help keep it in there. And so people don't understand what they're saying. Well, I couldn't license this product. So I'm going to start my own business, damn it. And if you're, as excited about starting a business, which when I get in the weeds with people and I explain it all, they're like, holy crap, I don't want to do that. I don't have that kind of money. I don't have that kind of time. I don't have any of that. But if, if, if you're more excited about starting the business, you want to create a company culture and you don't mind having employees and investing, you know, mortgaging your house and home, or if you just got a lot of money to do it. Um, but, you know, selling stuff on Etsy or eBay and a little here and there. If you're okay with that, that's fine, but that's not what most inventors envision for their product. So what I started doing about 10 years ago, and I ulterior motives, people were upset they didn't license their product. I said, no problem. Put that on the shelf and don't put it in the garbage can because when you license, you get a lot of non-specific notes, not at this time, not a right match. They don't always give you reasons why. Most of the time they don't. Sometimes you can pull it out of them. Sometimes you can't. Um, and I go, well, yeah, I think it's a great, I look at the product. I'm like, I think this is a great product. Totally makes sense. Kind of surprised you didn't license it, put it on the shelf and then start working on another product. And like the six, eight months from now, send it to all the same people and don't send it to a person that said it won't work because of this, this, and this, and you couldn't fix those things. But that's not what you're going to get most of the time. You get these non-specific notes, reach out to them again. And my my motivation when I did that 10 years ago was to get them to stop crying about not licensing their first product and to move on to the second product. But it ended up being a crux of the InventRight approach. Now I tell every student and we guide students to when they don't license a product, hey, you got the names, you got the emails, you got your sell sheet, 
just put it on the back burner for six or eight months, sent to all the same people. And I get students licensing all the time that way. Now, here's why. Before, they said, not at this time, not a right match. And what did that marketing manager, what was going on with them? Well, they got three projects, they're inundated with email, they're overwhelmed. They did not have time to take this on. People always think you're licensing to the company, but you're approaching people within the company. That happened to be the right person you're talking to. And they said no, but then you hit them up six months later and two weeks earlier, their boss said, we need new products. The same person that said no is now showing interest in your product. So if you really believe in your product, don't give up on it. Don't every time you can't license a product or, well, God damn it, I'm going to start my own business. And then you quit your job and you spend, you're going to have to spend 60 hour work weeks or you just spend piddly like 10, 15 hours. That's a term my dad used, piddly time, like 10, 15 hours a week. You're not going to get in anywhere doing that. Now, if you're okay with a little micro business, oh, I'll sell 50 a month or something. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. But that's not what most of you have in mind. So if every time, so no, it doesn't make me mad at all. I completely understand, Mike, the, the, the rationale. People are upset they didn't license the product and then they want to start a business. Um, but I usually have this talk with them and they're like, oh, you know, you're right, Andrew. Yeah, that's a lot. Um, I don't find that it happens very often. It happens once in a while. Um, but you know, there's nothing wrong with starting a business, but most inventors, most creative people, when you get into the weeds and what gets needs to be done there and you need to have an advisor, you never mentor that's ventured products before. Cause it's freaking brutal guys and getting stuff made in China right now, if it's something that needs to get made overseas. Oh my God, are you freaking kidding me? Big companies are having a hard time is now is not the time to be doing that. Um, so, uh, no, I, I don't think that's a problem at all, Mike. I understand it. It's just human psychology. I think a lot of our uh, people in general, I don't find that it really happens. I've had conversations with students about it. Really, I don't see it very often at all. Um, Mr. T, is there a handle? I need help with an industrial use product I have developed. Can I contact you? Yeah, so just go to inventright.com, click on contact us. And you can talk to Sylvia or Dana and they'll explain how we work and how we can help you and all that. And yeah, so go to inventright.com, click on contact us and book a book a call for any of you too, not just Mr. T. Um, this handles Mr. T. So uh, Melvin says, one of my inventions is an innovation, an innovation to industry and could be used in many licensed products in, in industry. Does InventRight handle such things often? Thank you for your help. Yeah, we see that all the time. What we help the inventor do then is go, okay, it could be over here, it could be over here, it could be over here. Maybe let's like say it's in four different markets, it could be applicable. You go for the low hanging fruit. And so whichever deal is the easiest one to close, you can close the deal with the company for that version of the product for that industry and even get them to pay for the patent. They give you the money as advance on royalties, pay for the patent, which could cover in all the industries. And then you go off and when you license it, you you um, you you sandbox it. You, you you say exclusive, but for this particular area and you leave it open for these other areas so that you can you can um, license it in those other areas. And we guide students all the time on that. Um, sometimes I get into the weeds with the student and you, we take a look at it and they're 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 not thinking right on how it could be done in different industries. Are they thinking too big? I'm like, well, let's do this deal and then let's do the deal over here. So sometimes when you have something like that, Melvin, you don't have one product, you have four or five products. So now you got to figure out which one to work on first. And you can keep the rights for the other ones that you don't license in those industries or distribution channels or the product type or whatever. So yeah, that's common. Uh, Raquel said, I like that you, you should be afraid of ripping yourself off. Thanks so much for the reminder. Love you guys. Thank you, Raquel. Yeah, really, most inventors rip themselves off out of their own fear. They rip their they rip themselves off by never working on their invention. They rip themselves off by thinking all they have to do is throw a bunch of money to patent attorney, then don't do anything after that. There's so many ways that inventors rip themselves off out of their own fears. So, but if you never get your product in front of anybody, you're never going to license your product. So, um, I can see. Wow, I got to most questions here. I can't get to all of them, um, but, you know, because we're at the hour here. And uh, if I didn't answer your question, please.
please um, just join earlier at the top of the hour next Monday. I'd be happy to answer it. Um, I want to remind you guys to click down below subscribe and click on the remind button as well. If you're not subscribed, that's the way you can say thank you to me for answering your questions for a full hour. Please do that. Watch more videos. Give us a thumbs up. Interact. Ask questions. Um, we have a free resources page on our site, too. So go to inventright.com and click on the free resources button in the upper right-hand corner if you're on the web. If you're on the mobile, you got to click on the menu and you'll find it. And um, I want to remind you guys to take care and keep inventing. And I'll, I'll be right back here next Monday. And if you want to talk to us, us about getting more help, go to InventRight, click on Contact Us, talk to Dana and Sylvia. They're super friendly. Okay, see you guys. Bye.